I've listened to Hotel California by the Eagles for years. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to Spin It. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Spin It, the record-ranking podcast for people who would rather be listening to music. I'm James, and with me is Connor. Happy Grammys week! <laughs> <laughs> nope. Yeah, the audience will remember, and uh, you also know. We made a mistake. The Grammys moved on us, so we had to shuffle around some recordings. This is the last episode where we're actually recording before the Grammy episode came out. Yeah. We thought it was Sufjan Stevens last week, but plans changed. <laughs> I thought it because I trusted you. And you had bad information. I thought it because I trusted the Grammys. <laughs> they were, they, they changed on me. So it's their fault, really. I blame the Academy. I don't know about that. In several of our episodes, we've mentioned the Grammys. <laughs> and when we were recording it, or how many episodes it's been since we did it. And it's all been wrong now. Yeah, it threw us off. But uh, we'll be ready for next year. I will uh, double check a little closer to the actual date, proposed date of the ceremony. Pistisk. But I've been so excited for this episode for a long time. Today we're talking about Hotel California and the Eagles. We sure are. Yeah. Now, Eagles music seems a little close to your wheelhouse, right? Oh, absolutely. I was going to say, you're a singles guy, but the Eagles have some really prominent singles. I know a lot of Eagles songs. (laughs) (laughs) So this album only has nine songs, and I mean, one of them's a duplicate. Out of these nine slash eight, how many were not new to you at all? How many were not new to me? Yeah. How many did you already know? I guess there's a more simple way to ask it. (laughs) Yes. I knew them all. (laughs) Oh, all of them. Cool. Yes. (laughs) So it's another one like that. So that's why I was like, I had to clarify, because the answer is either going to be all or none, based on how you phrased it. So I was like, I want to make sure I got it right. Right, yeah. Have you ever listened to the the album before, though? Like, sat down and listened to... No. Okay. It's another one of those. First time for everything. Before I'd listened to this album, I probably knew four of these nine songs. Okay. So by listening to the album, I got more than half of them. But it's been a long time since I had this album on the rankings list for the first time. Although Hotel California, I mean, I've been playing guitar for years and years, decade even at this point. And uh, Hotel California was one of the first songs I learned how to play. One of the first Eagles songs I knew for sure. So parts of this album I've known for a long time. Fair enough. Yeah. But just because you know the Eagles doesn't mean you know about the Eagles. So that's true. Time to find out what you know. I'm sure you've heard of Linda Ronstadt, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, she's not in the Eagles, so. No. In 1971, Linda Ronstadt's working on her backup band, and that's the year she adds guitarist Glenn Fry and drummer Don Henley to the lineup. The two of them actually met at the Troubadour Club in Los Angeles, the same place that we mentioned helped kickstart Elton John's U.S. career. But they said, uh, hey, you know what? This is pretty great. You and me, Glenn Fry and Don Henley, we're getting along. Uh, We think we could break off and form our own band. So they float this idea by Linda, and she says, Ooh, give me a minute. I know some guys that you might want to talk to. So Randy Meisner and Bernie Leiden joined Ronstadt's backup band as well, kind of as a bit of a trial run. Actually, they only played live together for Linda once. (laughs) 
And also in 1971, they joined up with Henley and Fry, and they joined Asylum Records before they even had a band name in mind. Nice. Yeah, it is nice. And, and impressive, actually. I mean, think of all these other bands that had to, like, grind and sell music and denim and do all kinds of stuff before they were signing record deals. But the name Eagles actually is a bit of a storied legend amongst the band. They came up with the name a couple months after signing in October while they were experimenting with peyote psychedelics out in the Mojave Desert. Nobody is 100% sure how the name happened. They were chatting and it came up. It got bounced around. Uh, They're not really sure who suggested it first or who decided it'd be a good band name, but... One thing we do know is that their band name isn't The Eagles. It's just Eagles. Yeah. So when when we talk about them, I guess we still say The Eagles. But as you look them up and learn about them, like, they're just Eagles. Yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of like... I, I, I feel like the word The is okay. Yeah, it is. Right? Because, it, like, the band is called Red Hot Chili Peppers. But when you're referring to them, you're going to be like The Red Hot Chili Peppers. Right. Yeah. And then it's like that for so many other bands, too. Yeah. It's just like the word the is used to be like talking about this thing right the the definite article is inconsequential (laughs) correct right well that first four-man lineup produced two albums featuring some big hits like take it easy witchy woman desperado tequila sunrise and more good songs great songs honestly also very heavy on my personal playlists i really like all of those they worked pretty closely with jackson brown during this time and they even opened for yes which is an interesting combo in my opinion i don't know if they mesh very well both great bands i don't know how well they go together no no is that just a yes joke or are you actually disagreeing yeah <laughs> okay. okay yeah i don't miss those let's leave those in the episode 40 something when we talked about yes 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 leave the yes jokes back in episode 48 yeah but while they were on tour with Yes, the band was fortunate enough to play a little bit with guitarist Don Felder, who they nicknamed Fingers because he was such a good guitarist. <laughs> what a nickname. They wanted to spice things up for their third album, so they decided to bring Don Fingers Felder into the band. <laughs> and, uh, and they did. He was a great fit. Their fourth album, One of These Nights, kicked off a great run for them in 1975, which brought about more singles like Lion Eyes, Take It to the Limit, and more. And actually, I think One of These Nights was the last song that played on the radio in my first car. Oh. Yeah. Then the brakes gave out, and it was not worth trying to drive it again. (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah, I know. I really took it to the limit. One of These Nights was their first of four straight number one records. The greatest hits album that they put out shortly afterwards actually became the best-selling record of the century in the united states with 38 million sales not even including any streams and it actually remained the country's bestseller until michael jackson died in 2009 at which point thriller overtook it but who would have guessed the eagles greatest hits was the best-selling record in america for decades me i could have guessed that if you gave me the answer ahead of time (laughs) oh well that's not really a guess it's an educated guess based on prior knowledge so yeah maybe at this point bernie leadon decided to leave the band and the eagles said okay we need someone to replace this guy who are we gonna find and that is when they brought on famed guitarist joe walsh he was a little more on the rock side as opposed to the country rock kind of direction the band had been taking for most of their career And he was more of a wild, free spirit, just a a wild kind of guy 
But in the end, he fit in with the band pretty perfectly, and his guitar playing really does elevate a lot of their work. And with Joe Walsh on board, in 1976, they released what would be their penultimate album before a lengthy, very tense hiatus, and that's today's album, Hotel California. It's the band's fifth album overall, and adding Joe Walsh to the lineup really does, you know, rock it up. Even though it's still very country at its roots, it's got a few more branches into <laughs> the rock territory. Don Henley talked about the themes of the the album and the songwriting and stuff and he says they're the same themes that run through all of our work loss of innocence the cost of naivete the perils of fame of excess exploration of the dark underbelly of the american dream trying to square the conflicting relationship between business and art the corruption in politics the fading away of the 60s dream of peace love and understanding and he calls it a concept record but he says it's more urban than their previous work citing the way that california has a quote built-in american cultural mythology which i think is kind of still true today <laughs> actually california's kind of got its own thing going on it sure does they're just doing their own thing yeah don henley also claims the eagles peaked on hotel california he says after that we started growing apart as collaborators and as friends which is so sad we you and i here's the deal you and i can't peak on the hotel california episode we can't start growing apart as collaborators and friends after this already happened already happened we're not even done with the episode <laughs> We're growing apart as we go, <laughs> but oh, no. by the time the episode's done, we will be mere memories to each other. Wow, that's so sad. <laughs> well, it was nice knowing you. Thanks for going on this journey with me. I'd say it was a pleasure, but I don't even remember if it was. That's how distant you are. Whoa. <laughs> this is, wow. Okay. Ironically, they recorded half the album in Miami, Florida, entirely out of California altogether. And while they were there, Black Sabbath was actually recording in the room next door. And there were a couple different times they had to stop in the middle of takes because Black Sabbath was being so loud next door. They were off the rails on a crazy train. <laughs> Wrong band. Well, Black Sabbath does crazy train. Well, right. I'm oh, sorry. I guess they do. I was... The Eagles probably were going crazy, though, with <laughs> such a ruckus next door. Anyway, simply put, Hotel California is really one of the best-selling records ever. It's, ready, 26 times platinum in the United States. 26. And aside from their greatest hits album that I mentioned a bit ago, Hotel California is the best-selling studio album for the band, moving 32 million copies worldwide. Rolling Stone has put it as high as number 37 on their 500 greatest albums of all time list. And if you can believe it, it did not win the Grammy for Album of the Year when it was nominated. <laughs> Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, all that, and it didn't even win. It did, though, lose to a worthy opponent. That was the year that Fleetwood Mac's Rumors took home Album of the Year. Ah, that's fair. Mm -hmm. And it did, though, win Record of the Year and Best Arrangement for Voices Grammy Awards, and it was nominated for two other categories. So it did clean up a little bit. After the release of Hotel California, Randy Meisner left the band, and things started to get a little more tense. They replaced him with Timothy Schmidt, and they did a little instrumental work for Randy Newman before working on their sixth album called The Long Run. It was supposed to be a double album, so they invested a lot of time into it. It took them two years to make, but at the end of the day, they couldn't even write enough songs to make a double album like they planned to. Apparently, Crazy Training was the first single from Ozzy Osbourne's debut solo album. Oh, really? It wasn't Black Sabbath? I just looked it up to make sure. Uh, I huh. googled Crazy Train Black Sabbath, and it says the album's Crazy Train and the titular single were on Ozzy Osbourne's debut solo album, released in 1980, Blizzard of Oz. 
That really surprises me. Who knew? Uh, yeah, I don't know. But then here's a YouTube video called Black Sabbath Crazy Train YouTube video. So maybe they've done a version of it. Or performed. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't even know. I've not yet listened to Black Sabbath or Ozzy Osbourne in depth. I would have guessed it was Black Sabbath as well. Well, I'm glad we're in the same boat. <laughs> but the long run. The long run had a lot of commercial success with songs like I Can't Tell You Why and Heartache Tonight, which would actually end up being their last number one single on the Hot 100 chart. Sad. It is really sad, especially due to this next part I'm about to talk about. In July of 1980 came what's called the fateful long night at Wrong Beach. Don Felder and Glenn Fry start getting into a really heated argument in the middle of the set. I don't know if it's really known what started it, but by the time they were in full swing arguing, in the middle of songs, they're yelling across the stage to each other, saying, like, three more songs until I'm going to kick your butt and stuff. Really going at it. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, a fight never actually happened, but needless to say, it was an ugly breakup for the band. Don Felder rushed off stage after the set was done, smashed his guitar, and like stormed away, just left. And that was kind of the end of things. <laughs> One really tense performance, and, and that was it for the Eagles. They all took up solo careers after that, or most of them did. You might know a couple of the more famous songs from Don Henley and Joe Walsh, uh, like Dirty Laundry, The Boys of Summer, or Joe Walsh's Life's Been Good. Yes, I do know those songs. Yeah, I thought you might. Pretty popular. They got around. When he was asked if the band would ever reunite night don henley would frequently say they'd get back together when hell freezes over and in 1994 14 years later wouldn't you know they got back together for the hell freezes over tour and subsequent live album i saw that when i was doing just a little bit of prep for the episode and i thought that was hilarious i know it's it's kind of genius and of course since they left under tense circumstances uh those didn't just go away overnight or over 14 years they had another kind of ugly conflict when don felder was fired from the band and he decided to file lawsuits against both the eagles as a band glenn fry and don henley he thought they were taking a bigger cut than everyone else rather than the five-way split like they'd kind of taken in the past and in 2007 the remaining members finally got to release their double album long road out of Eden. Their 2015 tour was planned to be their last, and in early 2016, Glenn Fry passed away, sadly. The band's only put out one studio recording since then, a cover of a Dan Fogelberg song. But they've also continued touring and performing, with Glenn Fry's son Deacon filling in for his father. He left the group in 2022, and the rest of the Eagles story is still ongoing. So, stay tuned. See where they go next, I guess. Yeah. Yep, and, uh, you know, the Eagles... If you haven't figured it out yet, they've been a pretty notable band in American history, country rock history, whatever you want to say. And they've got the awards to prove it. Career-wide, they've got a ton of accolades. In 1998, they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. In 2001, they made it into the Vocal Group Hall of Fame. And here's a fact that I really did not know. <laughs> They were nominated for the Country Music Association's Vocal Group of the Year four times. Really? They were up for CMA Awards, yeah. Huh. And they received the Kennedy Center Honors in 2015, but did not get a chance to actually hold the ceremony until after Glenn Fry had passed. Oh, uh, I see. Yeah, but uh, that's all I've got, and now I'm afraid. <laughs> this is the Now is the point in the show where I fear. 
How's the mixtaper doing? Did he go out to the Mojave Desert with some peyote to come up with good spins this week? Boy, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> well, we sent him all the way out to Illinois last week with uh, with his blimp, so you got to do a nice little road trip. Yeah, that was that was a whole ordeal. I'm sure it was. Let's get him on in here. Okay, yeah, let's. Hey, it's me, the mixtaper. Hey, welcome back to the show. I hope you're having a great week. How are you? I'm doing great. Mm -hmm. Just living my little mixtaper life. Oh, I'm glad to hear it. You know, still haven't lost this season. Yeah, 2023 has been lossless for you, but only because, and I know I'm putting a lot of pressure on myself by saying this, only because the Grammy episode hasn't been recorded yet. Oh, man. I know I'm going to crush that one, so. Oh, yeah. We'll see how this week goes. Yeah, let's start here. If I can deal you a loss this week, then the Grammy episode doesn't even matter anymore. Cause well, it, it does matter because you'll want to know how long the streak lasted. You can dash my streak way earlier if you win the Grammy one. I mean, honestly, I just try and win every week. Fair enough. So I'm going to continue to do that. But also, 2023 has just been a bad year for me. <laughs> well, let's hope that year continues with... All right, first fact. Pick a number, one through four. <laughs> Back to this. The mind games have been working for me so far. Keep them up. <laughs> okay, what's what do you have in the number two slot? In the number two slot, they played a famous baseball game. Played a famous baseball game? Like a specific baseball game? Uh-huh. Interesting. What baseball game is so famous that it is specific? You're not just talking about like the World Series or something. Like, no, I, you're talking about a specific. I think you're misinterpreting what I've said here. And when I said played, you think, I mean, they performed. I mean, they played. No. Yeah, like participated in. Yeah. I wasn't quite sure. But that does definitely rule out the World Series. <laughs> what famous baseball game did they play? The one where they played the editors of the Rolling Stone magazine. Oh, I don't know if I know about that. Interesting. How did this come about? Was this a challenge? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Who challenged whom? Uh, the Eagles challenged the Rolling Stone magazine editors. Why? Why do they? What, what's their stake in this? Because they called them a bunch of sissies. Oh, and so the way to prove that you're not a sissy is to win a game of baseball? Well, so you see, the Eagles had been playing some baseball games against some other people, and oh. Rolling Stones, uh, one of the editors made an offhand comment in the middle of another article saying that it seemed like the Eagles were too busy trying to find baseball teams that they could actually beat than making new music because they just recently lost to somebody. Interesting. And and the Eagles didn't take that very well, and so they kind of challenged them to a grudge match. Okay, so obviously the most important question is, who won? The Eagles! Mm, surprise, surprise. What was the score? Was it like a blowout? Uh, I don't know if I'd say blowout, but it was not close. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. It was uh, 15-8. That's not close. Yeah, no, that's going to take you a couple Grand Slams to get back from. <laughs> the writer said, oh, in reference to Joe Walsh's solo album, and he said the rest of the Eagles on their first vacation in three years seem more interested in finding a softball team they can beat, having lost in recent weeks to teams fielded by Andrew Gold, Jimmy Buffett, and employees of several San Francisco radio stations. I'm not convinced Jimmy Buffett could put together a winning softball team at all. Oh, 
I see. <laughs> to be fair, you're correct in that because the Eagles clapped back with what you failed to mention is that the Eagles won two out of three games against Jimmy Buffett. Anytime you pencil pushing desk jockeys want to put on your spikes, we'll kick your butt too. But they didn't say butt. Nice. No, <laughs> I didn't figure. Anyway, they this insulting banter went back and forth for a time before they finally set up a date to play one another. When was the game? In May of 1978. Nice. Well, the Eagles only have five members. Did they field a team like with, I don't know, producers and road crew and like did they get a full team or did they just play five on however many yeah no they each fielded uh extra people as needed got it i think this is a fact i think this sounds true enough it's got a lot of fleshed out details and i'm sure they would be plenty competitive in a situation like this going with fact yeah and i'm a little worried about it i'll be honest but what am i gonna do change your answer but you're not gonna do that so this one is a Fact. Oh, oh, good. Thank goodness. <laughs> I was about to interrupt and change my answer, so I'm glad I didn't. Oh, I should have given you another second. So the Eagles are big baseball people, huh? Apparently. Who knew? Who knew? Okay, so that's fact number two. Yeah. And it actually was a fact. It sure was. We've done the sandwich thing in the past, and I've been trying to avoid it. Mm. I know last week we ended with three and four uh, in the normal cut, so I think this time I'm going to go to number four. Going to go to number four. What a lucky pick. Yeah, hopefully. It's good luck. Because this one is a follow-up to the baseball fact. No way. <laughs> yep, there is interesting stakes for the baseball game. I'm just now realizing I probably shouldn't let you play the number pick yeah. game because with it this way, I got real lucky. <laughs> I picked in the right order. <laughs> would have made things real interesting for if they got in a different order. Yeah, that wouldn't have made sense. <laughs> so when I asked you during the last fact, what were the stakes? Did you ask me that? I feel like you didn't ask me that. Uh, I, I like verbatim, I said, what were the stakes? What did I say? What was my answer? I don't even remember answering that. <laughs> you said they were trying to not be called sissies. No, no. Uh, no, I thought you were just asking, like, why they challenged. Well, that was part of it. I think your question was, why did they challenge them? Not, what were the stakes? Don't gaslight me. I del- I literally said stakes, but... Mm, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. But there's, there's no way we could know. There's no way we could know. <laughs> it's unknowable. Why? Why did they... What, what's their stake in this? Because they called them a bunch of sissies. <sighs> But let's let's focus on the question <laughs> at hand. What are the stakes? The winning team got a good little uh, prize from the losing team. That would be what the stakes are, yeah. Yeah. Specifically, each side kind of wagered something. Right. So obviously, I, I guess I would assume Rolling Stone wagered that they would like print a retraction about all their negative comments about the Eagles. No. No. Wow. That seems like it was a more logical decision than whatever you're about to say. <laughs> So the first thing that both teams agreed to was whichever team would win would donate $5,000 to charity. That's nice. Yeah. I take it back. That was actually a better thing than retracting. Well, that was, well, hang on. (laughs) We're not done. That was just, that was the same on both sides. And each side kind of wagered something that only they could, they could offer. Right. Would you like to take a crack at what that might have been? Don Felder. (laughs) You get Don Felder. Here you go. So what can only Rolling Stone offer? Probably, maybe they were going to put him on the cover of Rolling Stone. No. That's something that only they could offer. It is true. The Eagles could write a song about Rolling Stone, I guess. I don't know. So Rolling Stone offered, basically said that if the Eagles won, the Eagles could write an article for their upcoming issue. 
Oh, they could write it about themselves. Uh-huh. Well, really about whatever they wanted. They just got to write one article oh. that would be in an upcoming issue. Sounds dangerous. I'm sure there was, like, rules around it, like, editing-wise. Oh, uh, sure. I'm sure right. it wasn't just a carte blanche. Write whatever you want. <laughs> no. What, what are the Eagles putting up? The Eagles put up that they would allow the Rolling Stones to have an exclusive, like, early look at at their next upcoming album. Oh, like a preview. Yeah, a preview. And so they'd be able to write an article about it and they would have a free pass to say whatever they wanted about the... Not that they couldn't already do that, but the Eagles are like, we won't get mad about it. Yeah, just we won't complain about it as much. We'll, we'll let you say whatever you want and we'll take it. Yeah, it's a freebie, <laughs> a free shot. But that they would also get access to it early. Great. So we know that the Eagles won as a fact. Yes. What article did they write? They wrote an article about the editors. <laughs> what did it say? What Was it disparaging? Did they really drag them? Here it is. This is a snippet from it. In the end, it was the error that cost Rolling Stones the game. Their first error was to call the Eagles sissies. <laughs> and it was just a whole thing trashing them about their bad taste on their band. Awesome. Okay, so this builds on another fact, which makes it dangerous. Sure does. <laughs> this feels like a spin. I think you took the true fact, gave me a true fact that was easily believable and true and stuff, and then okay. I think you built a spin on top of it. I see. Final answer? Yeah, that's my final answer. I'm answering finally. All right. This is a fact. <laughs> no, I went 50-50 on baseball facts. The $5,000 went to UNICEF. And, and Oh, another fun fact about the thing I didn't tell you on the last one was that there was a lot of celebrities in the crowd for the game. Oh, well, that would be why I'd be famous. Yeah, who, who was at the game? I guess we'll <laughs> jump back for a minute because I'm curious. Jerry Brown, the governor of California at the time, was there. Mm -hmm. Chevy Chase was there from the Three Amigos. Oh, and, and various other things. There were several other famous people there i've already closed that tab there were so many famous people there like chevy chase and the governor <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> Cool. Well, darn. I should have said fact. I had so many specific details about it. Yeah, but I thought it would be a very tricky thing for you to do to make a lie that was based on a fact. And I've done it in the past. Yeah, exactly. And I thought maybe they just like issued a statement with that little quote in it instead of making it an article. I thought maybe some parts of that were fake, but I guess I was wrong. So that leaves you with one and three. Take me to number three. Don Henley brought his own mattress on tour. Well, now we're getting into it. <laughs> That's so interesting. Why did he do this? Was there not a mattress on tour that was good enough for him? Did he want like a specific firmness or I don't know? Well, you know, the, the rock and roll lifestyle, it can be pretty rough. It sure can, yeah. Well, you know, traveling from place to place. Try sometimes having to sleep in uncomfortable places as you're going from place to place. Yeah. It's hard to get a good night's sleep. Sure is. Unless. Unless you don't want to deal with all that. And so you force your crew to lug around a king-sized mattress and bed frame for you. King-sized <laughs> and bed frame? Yep. Don, 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 please. What's the Eagles touring situation? Are they on buses? 
are they in a van hopping hotel rooms? I, I really... I uh, well, this was specifically for the Hotel California tour. So successful, late in the career. Yeah. Probably at least tour buses. But buses aren't that big. No, so they had to tear it down and set it up every single time. And you've got a lot of band members to consider. Where'd they put it? Was there a designated space on the bus for it? I would assume if it was a bus, like in the under storage. Like, where they store the equipment and stuff. I don't, I don't know. I guess if it fits in the bus, it fits in the bus. You know? I don't know. All I know is that they had to not only set up his drums, but his king-sized mattress and bed frame. And then took it down every night. Yep. What happened to all the sheets that they had to change? I know Don Henley hates dirty laundry. <laughs> Why this tour? I mean, did he do it after the Hotel California tour? Before? It seems excessive. This was the first tour, and it was just to get a good night's sleep. He was sick and tired of... Did anyone else? Nope. But no one else in the band? had thoughts about this did they say that's a great idea or like this sucks (laughs) could you imagine if they had to set up a bed for every member (laughs) i mean i'd do it if i was sleeping awfully in this cramped up little cubby or however i was sleeping yeah and i saw don henley just having these roadies set up a mattress every night i'd be bringing a mattress fair enough i mean it's no wonder there was tension in the band (laughs) let me just say like if this is true i get it this that's a, a king-size mattress. It's hard to believe. And a bed frame. Like, he's not just slugging the mattress around, tossing it on the floor. Can't just sleep on a mattress on the floor. That's... You gotta have a bed frame to go with it. I feel like the effect is the same. <laughs> and you're unconscious most of the time you're using it. You gotta get up and down. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing that you've made. Oh, he's paused. I'm undoing. He's I'm, undoing? The last couple weeks, every time I've gone with my gut... Except for the first time this week. (laughs) I've been totally wrong. Every time except the one time that it worked. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. So I am really thinking this is a spin. So you're going to go fact. Yeah, I'm going to go fact and then feel really stupid when you tell me that this was absolutely bogus it's usually how it goes i revisit some of these episodes later and i listen and go how did i believe that how did i ever fall for this it gets you sometimes and this is i feel like gonna be one of those times all right so he's locking in fact audience which means this is a pause in case he wants to change his mind again nope he's sticking with it doubling down i shouldn't though because when you do that in a situation like this it probably means that it is a spin and you want me to so, i don't know i'm just leaving it open for you to do whatever you want i'd be, i'd hate to cut you off again no cut me off just end this end my suffering the suspension though it's so it's so uh the suspension the suspense suspensions now <laughs> i was gonna say what am i a bridge <laughs> settle down engineer <laughs> audience i hope he doesn't cut this part out so that you know i gave him every opportunity in the world to be wrong because this is a true fact (laughs) (laughs) oh thank goodness and also again i I would just like to to express my secondhand annoyance at this (laughs) the secondhand yeah i'm annoyed for them for having to deal with this imagine being the guy that's paid to like tune glenn fry's guitar and lug around Don Henley's box spring, okay? That's not me. No chance. This is a good position that I'm in because I haven't lost yet. Sometimes I'm already out by fact number four. Sometimes. But that just means that the that the fall will be twice as hard. Yeah, but see what happened there? I had a gut feeling. I ignored it. I'd been warning you to ignore your gut feeling, and you finally listened, and it paid off. Yeah, it did. But let's see if we can complete the payoff. Great. The band sued the bird. Eagles. <laughs> Eagles sue Eagles. Eagles. <laughs> Eagles sued eagles. 
awesome. The actual bird? What for? Ah, the the human endorsers of the bird. The, the human representatives for the birds. Who represents eagles? The foundation that owns www.eagles.org. Eagles.org. And it's corresponding telephone number 1-800-2-Eagles. I see. I see. So Eagles didn't sue Eagles. They sued Eagles.org. Which was owned by a nonprofit dedicated to saving the endangered birds. Right. So why was there, is this a copyright infringement thing? Did they want Eagles, the phone number? Yeah, they say that the foundation infringed on the Eagles' names and image to try to turn a profit. And image? Did they use the Eagles, banned Eagles image to promote Eagles the bird? Oh! Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> they at least accuse them of that. I mean, I don't know if that actually happened. Right. You would think. I mean, so doesn't that just take money and resources away from eagle preservation and conservation? Like, so, yeah. It feels like you're kind of the villain here. <laughs> Did they win the lawsuit? No, the eagles dropped the lawsuit after three years. Wow. That's a long time. What were the damages? Like, how much money were they trying to get for this? Unknown. And so did eagles.org have to change anything? Nope. They called it off because Don Henley and manager Irving Azoff were uh, on tour and unavailable for the trial. So they just decided to give it give it up. They just said, eh, we'll give it up. Yeah. And his bed. Don Henley, his manager, and his bed. <laughs> this is weird. This one does not have as many details as your earlier facts. There's some holes in this. And what's your gut telling you? My gut is telling me this is a spin. Also, are you going to listen? It all comes down to that, doesn't it? It all comes down to if you listen to your gut. <laughs> this can't be true. Can't be true. And it's a fact. You're going against the gut. Yes, I am. Because if this is true, that makes this an all-fact week. Something you haven't... I mean, I guess you did that in the Elvis episode. You've done it pretty recently, but you don't do it often. I don't do it often. Anyway, I'm locking in another fact. I think the Eagles sued the Eagles. All right. This is... Be better if you change your answer, I think. <laughs> yeah? Yeah? Since you want to be lame, this is... A fact! Yay! A fact! I, I've done it. I've done it at long last. Done it at long oh. last. My first loss of 2023. It's been 14 episodes since I've... Has it really? I have not won a factor spin since the nice. What? That doesn't feel right. Uh-huh. It's right. I haven't won a factor spin since episode 69. Whoa. So you've had a great run. I commend you on that. Oh. <laughs> I mean, we, we've had a lot of 50-50s in there. Don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah. yeah. But I haven't bested you in, like, more than a dozen episodes. <laughs> It's been months. And I gave you too good of advice. You you ignored your gut twice. I did. And that's what put me over the edge. Well, you, you had a great run. A good time of it here. I, I kind of never circled back to it. But apparently the Eagles are very Sue happy. I had a lot of Sue facts that I could choose from. <laughs> and in fact, I had a different... A Sue facts? <laughs> I had a different one. That I was going to use, but it was more obviously true. And thus, I pivoted at the last second to Eagles, Sue Eagles. <laughs> That I didn't have a lot of information on. That's pretty good, though. I like that. It, it, it ended up being really good. What other kinds of lawsuits have they undertaken? They sued a hotel that opened that called themselves Hotel California and were, like, claiming to have a connection with the band's song. Oh, yeah, that's a no-no. Apparently, they've got, like, 60 people whose job it is at the record label to 
do nothing but like file copyright infringement takedowns on like YouTube and other platforms. Oh, wow. And then the fact that I was actually going to originally use that I thought was really interesting was that Don Henley back in like July of 2022, three men were charged with the possession of Don Henley's stolen manuscripts from the Hotel California album. Oh. Like 40 years ago, his manuscripts that contained Don Henley's handwritten lyrics and notes for the Hotel California album were stolen by somebody who was supposed to use them to start writing a biography or something. And uh, they were sold and they were never found and then they popped up because these people who had gotten in possession of it tried to sell it and Don Henley found out and sued them and they tried to claim that they like owned the rights who made up all these stories about how they came in possession of them legally and all this stuff and so they've been brought up on charges yeah it doesn't check out crazy story really really interesting but obviously going to be true because of all those details and so I was like uh, on something this important I can't go with that <laughs> pivot to Eagles Sue Eagles I think I have heard of that so we would have been in about the same boat yeah yeah, and I was afraid of that too. I was afraid about that and the baseball fact, actually, that you might have known. No, yeah, I had no clue about the baseballs or or the mattress. Or it's been a while since I've had to go sulk in the untrue for fifty three hours to cope with a defeat. Yeah, but I'm off to the untrue to cover myself in silverware and take a nice defeat nap. Yeah, sleep it off. Sleep it off. We'll see you next week for a, a chance to bounce back and really redeem yourself. All right. And until next week. Yeah. Welcome back, Connor. And I'm saying welcome back while acknowledging that you've been here the whole time. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. I know that sometimes gets under your skin. Let's talk about the album cover. Let's. Do you recognize the place in the album cover? Yeah, of course. You do. The Beverly Hills Hotel, right? And I promise I didn't actually look at that in your thing. I actually knew that. <laughs> Sometimes I just go look at your notes and cheekily say the answer. But this one I actually knew. <laughs> yeah, I know. No, it is. It's a photo of the Beverly Hills Hotel, which we've talked about before. The place where Barry Manilow ordered room service and the monkeys punched a hole in the wall. Right, right. That all happened in the same building. A very historic spot. The cover photo was shot at sunset from the basket of a cherry picker that they had 60 feet up above Sunset Boulevard. Crazy. Yeah, it is. The lengths they went to were pretty extreme. So much so that the hotel didn't even realize it was them in the image. Oh. It it took them a while to figure it out because of the bizarre angle. They're like, wait, that's us? (laughs) Yeah. There's something about this looks familiar. (laughs) Basically, the band framed the shot. They wanted it to look slightly sinister. Oh. And so when the hotel found out, they did threaten legal action against the band. Ironic, considering what the mixtape just told us. (laughs) Yeah. A little Sue happy. Well, they were getting sued, so they had to make up their costs some. Somehow, I guess. Ah, that makes sense. No, but the Beverly Hills Hotel never did take any legal action, actually. And so the cover image remains. That's two episodes in a row we've had uh, questionable cover photo material. Yeah. With Sufjan Superman. And now this. I love this shot. I think it's perfect. I mean, the sinister, slightly sinister, is everything about the song Hotel California. And it's everything about this cover photo. The sunset, the just the way that it is. I like it. Are we ready to jump in? I say so. We got a title track right up first. Well, in that case... Let's spin it. Yes, let's. Biggest song on the record right here, Hotel California. The song actually won them a Grammy in 1977, but they didn't actually receive it until 2016. What? They skipped the Grammys. Oh. Yeah, I know. They skipped the Grammys back in the year that they earned it. And, uh... You know, a little bit of tension going on. They they really weren't doing many things in 1977. Yeah. So, yeah, they got it just 
five, six, seven, seven years ago now. <laughs> yeah, keep ticking that number up. <laughs> it's insane it's been that long. It is. On a dark desert highway. Yeah, that's how the song starts. <laughs> but before the song had any of its now famous lyrics, it was just a bunch of music on a cassette tape. Don Felder recorded a bunch of his own works in progress onto a little tape, and he shared it with the band. He asked them what songs they like, and Don Henley said, I like the one that sounds like Mexican reggae. So that was the one that they picked. That was his working title for a little bit, Mexican reggae. And it probably, to be honest, is one of the most Mexican reggae songs I've ever heard. Yeah. But yeah, you mentioned the lyrics. It's a lot on this song. I mean, there's so many different ways to take it, and there's all sorts of different analysis that have been done on the lyrics and, like, what's what's a metaphor, what's supposed to be taken literally, you know, what's interesting. Yeah, it is. Lots of people have put forth all kinds of different theories, everything ranging from heroin addiction to devil worship. Yeah. I mean, everything in between. There's a lot in between, too. (laughs) Yeah, there is. The band has kept it pretty ambiguous on purpose. Glenn Fry said, vagary is the primary tool of songwriters. No, uh, vagary is not a word, if you're curious, <laughs> but he said it anyway. Basically, they just want to let people imbue it with their own meaning. But it does obviously have its own inspirations. The band says it's about the excess of American culture and certain girls that they knew. They talked about how it's about art and commerce. And as Midwesterners, they said it was their interpretation of the high life in Los Angeles. And it's full of figurative language. Yeah. A lot of uh, sensory words and imagery. You see the light, your head grows dim, and you you smell the Kalitas, you hear the mission bell. Everything is just like you're immersed in it, which really makes it eerie, I think. It's awesome. Basically, I mean, the speaker is traveling through the desert and kind of entering this like highway hypnosis kind of state. It's very Southwest, American Southwest in nature with the mission bells and colitas, which is also a term for marijuana stems in addition to being a desert plant. But he winds up at this mysterious hotel where one of the greatest descriptions of any place ever in music exists. You can check out anytime you like, but you can never leave. Yeah. That just says so much while saying nothing at all. Actually, one thing I want to talk about too is Don Henley's gotten a lot of questions about the line, bring me my wine, we haven't had that spirit here since 1969. Mostly he gets questions from people who insist that... Um, actually, wine is not a spirit. Yeah, just, no, just like that. <laughs> exactly. A spirit is a kind of alcohol, but wine is not a spirit. Don Henley... At one point, he just had enough. He went off on this person in an interview. He says, you've missed the point of the line. Spirit isn't referring to alcohol at all, but rather to attitude and to making a sociopolitical statement. It's a whole different kind of spirit. Your spirit is your attitude, not wine being a literal spirit. Anyway, the song ends with an iconic guitar solo. Mm -hmm. Don Felder and Joe Walsh played it together in tandem, and it took them two whole days to get everything right. Actually, Don Felder drafted up how the solo was supposed to sound on a cassette tape, the same way that he wrote the whole song. But he left the cassette tape somewhere else when they were doing the recording. So they had to call someone who had the tape, then play it through the phone and record that where they were so that they could re-listen to it and emulate what the tape had on it. But I think it pays off really great. I agree. It's one of the longest songs on this album. It's six and a half minutes, but not a second is wasted. Certified poetry all the way through on that too. It's great. What'd you think about New Kid in Town? I like it. I like it too. It's it's a bit of a sleeper track. New Kid in Town is one of the ones I didn't know before picking up the album. Okay. And actually, New Kid in Town was another Grammy winner. Best Arrangement for Voices. I can't wait 
you didn't know this song. I, I don't know. I guess the Eagles is just one of the few bands that I know such a large portion of their major hits that when someone like you comes along who knows infinitely more music than I do doesn't know one of their songs, I'm like, how? <laughs> I even know it. Yeah. You had the same thing on the Elvis episode, too. Yeah. We're going through a couple lately. I mean, the chorus itself is, Johnny come lately. Uh, that that just seems more iconic than I guess maybe it is. But I mean, it was a Grammy winner, like you said. So it was pretty popular. It was. Yeah, but that surprises me because I can think of other songs just on this album alone that are probably more deserving of vocal arrangement Grammys. I it's pretty good here i don't know i I really like try and love again for their vocal arrangement it's a good one the harmonies and stuff on this one i think really play into that they do absolutely that's not something you get a lot with rock music it's not that's definitely more their country cma award nominated country vocal group side coming through but that's one advantage i think to a band like the eagles where so many people can sing so well Uh uh-huh is that you could pull off stuff like that in a way that a lot of other bands with fewer or lesser singers maybe can't Johnny come lately, the new kid in town. So Don Henley says the song has a double meaning. He says it's about the fleeting, fickle nature of love and romance. It's also about the fleeting nature of fame, especially in the music business. He said the Eagles knew they were on top of the world, but they weren't naive enough to believe that they wouldn't be replaceable, both in music and in love. Fair enough. Yeah, and so the song's lyrics and verse structure kind of parallel that rise and fall, right? People are talking, there's expectations for this new band who's, in theory, like the Eagles themselves. Everyone treats you like you're something new because you're about to be the next big thing. And you peak, you're the new kid in town, you do great, you hit your stride, but it's a lot of pressure to be that next big thing. They have their 15 minutes of fame, and as the song progresses, they start to fade away. All the people who loved them start to turn the other way way and focus on the next new kid in town which is what they say in verse three certified poetry you're walking away and they're talking behind you they will never forget you till somebody new comes along i like new kid in town and it doesn't feel like a five minute song it goes by pretty quickly it's a smooth song it's a good song i love it i love it too but i'll be honest I do not love it nearly as much as Life in the Fast Lane. (laughs) Absolutely not. Yeah. But man, Life in the Fast Lane, that's not even a fair comparison. If you turn on any radio station to a classic rock station, you have like a 60% chance of this song being the one playing. This is such a staple on the radio. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. It's so good. And like Hotel California before it, it's all about living to excess, to a dangerous degree. Sex, drugs, rock and roll. And again, it just highlights how good they are writing lyrics yeah i mean i've always been a fan of rock music this kind not like heavy metal or some of the other stuff we've done that i didn't care for but this kind of country rock but also just kind of classic rock yeah i mean you talked about your high school car i did my high school car didn't have the ability to hook like my phone into it or anything like that and i didn't really own a lot of cds no but you played Michael Buble. I had Michael Buble. That was pretty much one of the only ones. <laughs> so when I wasn't listening to that, and I'd always had that, like, you know how you can have the program, like, up to, like, six radio stations or whatever that you can just quickly get to? Yeah, I'm familiar with the concept of preset radio stations. Four out of the six of mine were the classic rock stations. No, same. <laughs> I, that was what I grew up on a lot. So every 
every time you switched to a new one, there was a sixty percent chance of life in the fast lane. Well, and that's what I <laughs> that's what I do too. Because anytime they like get a commercial or anything like that, I just flip over to one that wasn't. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, just some of these lyrics, I got a little distracted from that. Just looking at verse one here, in the heart of the cold, cold city. I mean, that in itself, when you take it and couple it with his descriptions of him being brutally handsome and her terminally pretty and all this other stuff. And then just using the word cold and heart in the same sentence, even in this flipped version, kind of gives that cold-hearted implication to the song. Yeah, absolutely. It's dangerous and deadly, and they're living it up, despite everything around them being awful. And then the line, she'd say, faster, faster, the lights are turning red, is just... It's a couple layers deep in Entendre. Uh, Yep, Mm mm-hmm. It's like an onion. This is an onion song. Or at least an onion lyric. Yeah, right. No, it's all about, it's sex, drugs, rock and roll, and... Heck yeah. So since... That's the subject matter of the song. And since the band was sometimes, you know, uh, doing a couple drugs during this time, the song actually physically stressed them out. And it was hard for them to listen to because of the energy and the attitude of it. Glenn Fry said listening to the song messed up my back muscles, my nerves, my stomach, and it made me paranoid. Huh. Which just goes to show how much of their own experience they wrote into this song. It was written by Joe Walsh, Glenn Fry, and Don Henley. And as Glenn Fry tells it, he's the one that picked out the title. He said, I was riding shotgun in a Corvette with a drug dealer <laughs> on the way to a poker game. I mean, nothing is more life in the fast lane than that sentence right there. I got whiplash from that sentence. It was going so fast. <laughs> I know. He said, next thing I know, we're doing 90. I say, hey, man. He grins and goes, life in the fast lane. So the title allegedly was inspired by Glenn Fry's drug dealer on the way to a poker game. <laughs> and you were talking about iconic sounds. The doo that this song does. I think everybody can recognize that. Absolutely. That's one of those things, even if you're not a fan of this genre, you at least go, oh yeah, I've heard that. I don't know what it's from, but I recognize that riff. Mm-hmm. Yep. That riff actually comes from Joe Walsh. It was a little practice exercise just to like warm up his fingers and get himself ready to play guitar. He was running it over and over while they were sitting around trying to write songs. And they went, oh, like, we like that. What can we do with that? So that's the main riff that you hear at the very beginning and all the way through the song. A real fast point of clarification. Do I get all my picks this week? I don't remember. Yes, (laughs) you do. Don't worry. I couldn't remember how badly past Connor had screwed up Kurt and Connor. I warned you on Hippocampus that you'd want all your picks for Sufjan Stevens. And you did, but you did not exceed your four. Because of the fact you also warned me I'd want them this week. I did. I knew you'd want these ones. Um, I'm glad I heeded your advice. Yeah, so plan according. This is a this is the week of good advice. <laughs> yeah. Life in the Fast Lane is a great song. Pull it up, listen to it. You will not regret it. It won't be wasted time. But the next song will be. <laughs> I was about to make the same joke. <laughs> ballad time. Ballad time. Absolutely the biggest ballad on this album. And as a matter of fact, it gets tracks four and five. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll start with track four. Wasted time. I assume this is one of your favorites. I say that. You just yelled ballad time, and you're the ballad guy. But it's ballad time. It is. The music on this one is really good. It is. So good. And actually, that sound, the big string section and, and the way that it's composed, was inspired by a lot of the songs Don Henley and Glenn Fry were listening to and loving out of Philadelphia. That's the kind of music that was being made in that part of the country. And so they wanted to kind of emulate and encapsulate that spirit in Wasted Time. It's a breakup song, as you might guess from the title and just the nature of it. 
Don Henley had just gone through a breakup himself, which is what inspired this. We're entering the story right after the breakup has happened, and it's this very long relationship coming to a close. So the speaker, you know, talks about how he feels like he's invested all this time in getting to know the other person, and now that you've broken up, it's just wasted time. It's gone, it's not coming back. Kind of a bridge burned. And I think that's a really relatable emotion that they put very well yeah it does yeah and and i love the way that they convey that it's such a lost helpless kind of feeling right and he says she don't care much for a stranger's touch but she can't hold her man like all she wants to do is just be with this guy or be held by anybody but a stranger's not going to do it and, and she's lost the only person that she felt comfortable with which sucks yeah <laughs> and they convey it just it's just beautifully constructed the lyrics phenomenal on this album really i honestly anticipate lyrics should be one of your higher scores i'll be disappointed if it's not so noted you gotta wait till the end for that well do you want to waste a little more time because if so we can move on to track five and talk about uh wasted time <laughs> <laughs> we could do that in a second i just there's a little pivot that happens at the very end of the song uh-huh in the very very last line of the song he says maybe someday we'll find that it wasn't wasted time like yeah right now it feels like we've just thrown everything we've built away there's just that little glimmer of hope it's hope yeah eventually we'll learn from our history from our mistakes and this experience in our past will propel us into living better in the future and that ends the first side of the record what a powerful note to end on for the first half yeah and when you flip the record over you're hit with a beautiful instrumental reprise of the track instrumental ballad time (laughs) yeah (laughs) i think that's an astounding way to keep you in the spirit of the record i can't believe it's the really the only time i've ever seen this done where they put the song on both halves of the record i really don't know of any other examples of that i'm sure they exist they must somewhere but i haven't encountered them i love it when people get creative with the medium and that's exactly what this is you know people are going to be listening to it on a record at least that's what they knew back then that's all you could really conceptualize in 1976 yeah that or maybe a cassette but you still got to flip but anyway we go through the instrumental wasted time and then just kick down the wall to become a victim of love victim of love on most original versions of the vinyl, there are words that are etched into the runout grooves on the record. Oh, really? Yeah. Side A says, is it six o'clock yet? And then side B says, VOL is five piece live, which is their way of informing the listener or the record owner that they recorded the instrumentals to Victim of Love as one band in a single take. That's awesome. It is so awesome. What a song. It's four minutes that just rips right through you. Victim of Love has one of the strongest starts on this album. Yeah, it's another very popular radio play. As it should be. If you listen to the instruments on this song, the fact that it's all live is mind-boggling. It's astounding. It is. But the same can't be said for the vocals. A little bit of controversy there. It took them a million tries on those. No, no, but (laughs) it took them more than a million tries. Don Felder was slated to take the lead on this song, and he started trying to sing the vocals, and he sang and he sang and he sang. He sang his heart out for an entire week he worked on the vocals. And then they were just like, now you suck. They were like, no, this is bad. They didn't think it held up to the quality that they wanted. So... (laughs) They said, hey, 
Don, why don't you go on out to lunch? Oh, no. The manager takes Don Felder out to lunch. Oh, no. While he's gone, Don Henley lays down this incredible vocal on the track. Oh, no. Which is what you hear today. Yeah, I know. Real surprise. Real surprise that Don Felder didn't get along with everybody, isn't it? (laughs) I mean, wow. But admittedly, Henley's vocals are pretty perfect. We say that not really having experienced the other one, but... Yeah, well, you know, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. If it ain't broke... If it ain't broke, take it out to lunch. If it ain't broke, (laughs) it should take me out to lunch. I guess the answer is, if it is broke, get it out to lunch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So lyrically, this woman's in love with a guy, but she's still complaining constantly about him. Her free spirit has become a victim of being in love with this guy. And this song, too, has its share of great lyrics. You say he's a liar and he put out your fire. How come you've still got his gun in your hand? Love it. Certified poetry. It's good. Mm-hmm. And she's putting on a big show, making a big scene about this for attention because it seems like she enjoys being a victim like this. You know, a victim of love is such an easy part, and you know how to play it so well. You're walking the wire, pain and desire, looking for love in between. It's a pretty mean song. It's a, it's a little scathing towards this person who just feels trapped in a relationship or is at least acting that way for attention i'm curious to know what you think about the next track Ooh. okay so pretty maids all in a row is up next i assume this is another one you didn't know it sure is another one that was first time from this record i like it it has to be in my bottom three on this album i agree by virtue of what else is here yeah just by virtue of everything yeah and and actually that's kind of a disappointing reality because i came into the album knowing what four five tracks and I knew the best tracks already. So I listened to this album for the first time. The biggest Eagles album. The second only to their greatest hits. One of the best selling records of all time. Huge, big, explosive, awesome. And the ones you didn't know were the bottom. And then everything I knew was great. And then everything I didn't know just couldn't hold the line. I was shocked. I mean, it's one of those things though. I don't know why you didn't expect that. Because if there was something on this album better than like Hotel California, it would be the Hotel California in your mind that you know, and not like yeah, they'd be the roles would be reversed. Like there's no way you get a song better <laughs> than like Hotel California or Life in the Fast Lane and not know it already. Because if they lived up, you'd know them. Yeah, no, that's true. But anyway, I'm usually not a big fan of verse only songs, as you know. I did know that. Yeah, I like a good chorus. I don't like a repetitive chorus or too much chorus. There's a fine line to walk. My line is somewhere between no chorus and too much chorus. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that... Yeah. Okay. But I really enjoy this. I think... And it is... It's the, like, not counting the reprise of Wasted Time. It's the shortest song. And I like it. I like it, too. It's fine. Pretty Maids All in a Row is the very first Eagles track to feature... Mr. Joe Walsh on the lead vocals. Okay. Yeah, and, and again, the fact that everybody in this band sings is just such a great tool for them because yeah. it lets them do so much with their style and their sound and it keeps everything extra engaging. I'm surprised more bands don't do that with how successful these people were. You're right. I don't know. It seems like a thing you'd want to pursue and try out. We've had a couple bands where everybody sings. I wouldn't call it uncommon. No. But it's definitely a bit more of a rarity, especially in modern music. Yeah. But it does, it kind of feels like we get different perspectives, or at the very least, it sounds like we get different perspectives from track to track, because so many different people are heading things up and and singing each time. The song's about old friends meeting up after a long time apart, so... 
that's the conversation that picks up in the lyrics. Seems like we've come a long way. I love the line, heroes, they come and go and leave us behind as if we're supposed to know why. Mm, That's a good one. It's so pretty. But what gets me is the piano ballad style is just such a hard pivot after Victim of Love. (laughs) Yeah. And and like you said, I do think the song could kind of benefit from a chorus, but I really don't miss one. Correct. Because I like that verse melody so much. And the song ends, of course, with the last meeting of these people. The last time they ever meet, they kind of call it a day. says the storybook comes to a close. Gone are the ribbons and bows. Things to remember, places to go. Pretty maids all in a row. Finally, a title. And then the band provides this little ooze choir outro that I think suits the song really well. And this is another moment that I think is vocally better arranged than New Kid in Town. Although, I don't know if you can give Joe Walsh a vocal arrangement Grammy on this song, to be brutally honest. But the ending is nice. Uh, I think I like New Kid in Town better. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. And I think, uh, while I, I know it's a little jarring to come right after Victim of Love, but... I think that's a great way to emphasize that while they can have such a hard edge when they want to, they also can pivot to this really light, really delicate touch and both work exceptionally well for them. And then we move into Try and Love Again. I don't know. I think I just I think I just want to try and like like again. Oh, please don't say you love it. <laughs> I think this is an awesome song to follow up. You know, the last song ends with two people parting ways and kind of giving up with each other. And after things kind of come to an end and are all wrapped up all in a row right there, you have to move on. You have to get back out there sometime. And it kind of contrasts that hard ending with the excitement and anticipation and worry about new beginnings on Try and Love Again. Some of the song's stronger points are its music and its vocal harmonies. Mm -hmm. The song's full of major sevenths. I love them. And it's got a heck of an opening guitar line. (laughs) It just, it rings you right into the song. And musically, they just do so many clever little things. Like the bass line, if you listen to the bass line, it does these little walk downs that are really great because they create this kind of tension that you're expecting, which to me kind of seems to really parallel the tension you feel with a new person as your feelings and your relationship starts to grow and develop. I think that's a very intentional decision and a good way to go about the music. The other thing I like about this song is the dynamics. It goes from a really quiet beginning to a really, really loud, almost end like it just slowly and gradually increases in volume so you don't even realize what's happened Uh uh-huh you know how people use that metaphor of like if you throw a frog into a pot of boiling water it jumps right out but if you put it in the water and then turn on the heat it'll stay this is the second option they they put you in the song when it's quiet and then all of a sudden it's like so intense and you haven't even realized you've gotten to 11 but then they bring it back down again i think they're good intense dynamics i like them i agree me too i think i just agree with myself but that's okay last resort is the last song on the album sure is yeah and i mean just on principle it's a great title to end the album because you know it's the last one and also it's the last resort so it's the last one you know they're at their last resort on this album that's filled with all sorts of drugs and life crisis uh songs and also just you know yeah and hotel california hotel california like like a a resort resort. exactly (laughs) you know it's firing on all cylinders it is it is It's another much slower song and another one without a chorus. I honestly feel like the last proper chorus we had was back on Victim of Love. Yeah. Like 15 minutes ago. I mean, it is eight choruses long. Yeah, with some music breaks in there. But I just love it because each verse is kind of just the same. But da 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 Just, you know, it's just 
and I think for the end of the album, it's almost like this would be like the credits song of the album. Just the same theme playing over and over as they as lyrics go by, you know. And you're just kind of it's just this is a song that can be on in the background that is playing that kind of takes you out of the album. Yeah, it's a good play out song. It's just nice mood music to have on. It's got a nice sound to it, nice thing. But there's some interesting lyrics in here as well. Like they're actually saying some stuff. It is a sad kind of song. It's mournful. I think to call it a playout song is kind of interesting because it really talks about how there's no place left that we can go that's not tainted or destroyed or everywhere we do go, we destroy it. It's true. In the beginning, it starts, you know, focusing on this character, this Rhode Island girl who's looking to get away from the grind and she's feeling the itch to get out. So the town they call Paradise, right, is very far from Paradise. Someone laid the mountains low while the town got high. Awesome. It's great. I mean, this is this song is what the album is all about. Finally, by the fourth and fifth verses, we, we move away from the Rhode Island girl and we get this more focused critique, a more general view of all these rich elite people in California who kind of take what they want from the land, just ruined it and left things in a sad state. And, you know, at the end, he talks about how she can leave it all behind, sail to Hawaii. This place is kind of widely considered a paradise, but that's been corrupted by colonization, consumerism. Everything's a mess, and there's really no place left that's paradise. And he talks about how people don't see the irony in moving someplace to make it a paradise, and in doing that, they destroy it. It's a tough heavy message to end the album on it's not a feel-good album no it's a rock out album you're gonna love the music but it's not like if you listen to the lyrics you're gonna be sad yeah it's a bit of a gut punch yeah but that's gonna do it that's track one through nine now it's time to final spin let's find out if i'm disappointed let's talk scores there's a real i mentioned it already but there's a real stark contrast between the songs on this album i think that are greatest hits and the songs on this album that aren't which makes it tough to rank because i feel like i have to find that average that balancing act and get it in the middle you know so that the the heavy songs don't weigh it down too much and the good songs don't skew it the wrong way anyway it's a tough balance but that said i'm giving music an 86 some pretty cool musical decisions on a lot of these songs but the last resort gets a little repetitive pretty maids all in a row doesn't impress me much musically new kid in town is okay but it doesn't feel like it's enough you know what i mean interesting anyway uh but but of course obviously hotel california musically brilliant life in the fast lane is great wasted time is beautiful Victim of Love is energetic and awesome. So 86 on the music. Lyrically, it's a gut punch of an album. Honestly, they have a lot to say in each of these tracks, and I think they say it well with very few exceptions. There's not a lot of spots where the lyrics dip. So I'm giving lyrics a 90. Okay. Instruments and production are incredible. I mean, the Eagles are great singers. They're great instrumentalists. Every one of them. And they each let their talents shine through at different points everywhere on this album. Joe Walsh gets to sing the Felder and Walsh guitar solo on Hotel California is iconic. Don Henley's drums are so strong and he gets to show off his vocals in so many places. I I just think everyone's firing on all cylinders on this album. Instruments and production, I'm giving a 91. Okay. And the overall vibe is pretty solid. This is a good album. It's fun. It's like normal length. Some of these songs are pretty long. I mean, you mentioned the second shortest track is like four minutes still, but it doesn't feel that way. It flies right by, and 
it's impressive that this is only nine tracks because it feels so full as an album. And of course, obviously, it's very historically significant, a very great seller. I'm giving the overall vibe a 93, which gives it a total score of 90.1. Sure does. Which is gonna land it at number 82. Yeah. Yeah, this is an album that initially actually scored a lot lower because I scored it a lot earlier at first. I first gave it a score way back in June of 2020. So it was when my spreadsheet was just getting started and I was still trying to calibrate all my scores. And so it ended up a lot lower on the list than I would have liked. So when I came back to it and reviewed it before this episode and stuff, I had to make some changes. So this is where it is now. Yeah. In an updated spot because my list is flexible. It actually lands pretty close now to Pep by Lights, which is interesting. Ooh. But that's me. Like I said, there are a couple tracks that really just carry this one. And the others are strong, but the gap between them is wide. <laughs> and it's also near a potential Grammy winner we might be doing in the past already. We might have already done them. <laughs> we might be doing in the past. That's right. <laughs> it's pretty close to Harry's house. We don't know yet. Might be the one that we've done already. Could be. Could be. <laughs> I guess it's my turn. It sure is. I'm interested to hear your thoughts and, and also pretty interested to get your playlist pick. I love this album. Good album. Great. I pretty much can put this album on and this is the first time I've done it, but when I did it, I was like, this is an album I can just shove on at any time and not have that weird, oh, I'm tired of this artist sort of thing after a couple of songs. Or be, be yeah. like, it's not one that I'm sitting there going, oh, I just want to hear certain tracks. Like, this is another Miley Cyrus Plastic Hearts album where I can just listen to the whole album on loop if I wanted to. I'm, I, I'm okay with that. Yeah, well, that's good. And I disagree with you that there's a stark difference between the super famous ones and the not so famous ones. I think they're different in the sense that, like, obviously, Pretty Maids on a Row is no Hotel California in terms of, like, this big, massive song. But it, like, it, it serves a very specific purpose on the album, and it serves that purpose very well. It does. And so, but you were, like, saying this whole thing in your thing about how you didn't want the not big songs to weigh down the score at all. I don't think there's any song on here that should be weighing down the score but like what i'm saying is if this album was just hotel california life in the fast lane wasted time victim of love it would score a lot higher really (laughs) yeah there's some factors to consider that lower the score interesting i don't get any of that to me i don't know how it would score right because i feel like some of those smaller tracks add so much depth to what the album is telling as a whole and everything that it adds to what the album as a whole is trying to say that would be missing if it was just the the grand slam tracks and so like to me that would hurt the score in a way so like i think they would almost equal out i mean that's true too that's just me as for my top three right in album order do I need all my picks for next week? You get to take more than half of the album, basically. Not quite. If you mush wasted time and wasted time together. Oh, uh, I'm not because they're two separate tracks. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's true. They are. If I can mush them together, then I get to take them both if I want to, and it only counts as one. <laughs> uh, are you taking both? Let's find out, I guess. Well, let's find out. Well, do I need all my picks for next week? Oh, go for it this week. So in that case, in album order... Hotel California. Nice. New Kid in Town. Yeah. Life in the Fast Lane. Wasted Time. That's four of the top four here. Yep. 
and then skipping Wasted Time Part 2 to go for Victims of Love. Ooh. So if you mush them, I would have had the entire first half of the album. <laughs> yeah, you would have. The first six of nine Ooh. tracks is what you would have had. Well, five of eight. Five-eighths instead of two-thirds. Yeah, I don't fault you for that at all. Obviously, the closing three tracks of this album are its maybe its weakest point, which is sad. And honestly, I think why I initially scored it so low. Again, it's not weak in the sense that they're weak. It's just they're not... Weakest. Weakest. It's all comparative. They have plenty of good value. And I wouldn't want to change the order, I don't think. I think the order is pretty spot on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like I said... I love that. Falling from Pretty Maids All in a Row to Try and Love Again. Yeah. They, they make sense back to back, and The Last Resort is a great closer. As for playlist pick, I don't know. This is another one I think we need to pick by committee. Is there any way we can get away with not picking Hotel California in Life in the Fast Lane as our two? I feel like we're kind of stuck. How do we not put those two on the playlist? I actually almost would rather take Victim of Love instead of Hotel California. Over Hotel California? Here's why. Everyone expects Hotel California. Yeah, but it's supposed to be like, I don't pick based off of what the people expect. Victim of Love is a great track. It's an awesome instrumental ripped out in one take. I think while Hotel California is a great track, I think Victim of Love... You think it's the better track? Maybe the more impressive recording. I don't care about the recording. I care about... The, it's our favorite songs playlist. You're saying Victims of Love is the more popular favorite song, in your opinion, than Hotel California? For us? You like Victims of Love better than Hotel California as a song? I mean, if the two if the two songs come on at the exact same time and you have to stop one of them, which one are you stopping? You're stopping Victims of Love, I almost guarantee it. I probably stopped Hotel California. Really? Maybe it's just because I've heard it a lot more. It's so good, though. Significantly more. It is, it is. So if I pick that, then would you take Victims of Love or Life in the Fastlane? It's a great question. Because Life in the Fastlane has that guitar riff. That yeah, I'd take Life in the Fastlane over Victim of Love. <laughs> I think Hotel California and Life in the Fastlane is my vote. Okay, well, I don't want to put any misconceptions out there that I have a problem with that, because that's fine. Sounds like you have a problem with it. Hotel California has one of the, again, one of the best guitar solos we've talked about, full stop. And it tells one of the best stories. I mean, I think I think Hotel California's got the better story, and all the metaphors and everything. It does. Honorable mention to One Take Victim of Love. It's unusual. And if this was the Spin It Unusual Songs playlist, then I'd agree with you. Fine. So I'm picking fine, Hotel fine, California. Fine. You can, I think you've said you're going to take life in the fast lane in that scenario and those will be the two works for me as for my unit did you give it a score no (laughs) but it's pretty obvious i mean the score is not the important part yeah this is easily a two oh well yeah it would be (laughs) very easily attainable for this to get a two it'd also be an easy three four five six seven eight all the way up to a nine yeah that's better king size mattresses and bed frames out of 10. But bed frames are important. Yeah, apparently very important. That's <laughs> excellent. Imagine if they had to take nine king size beds. One was probably just excruciating <laughs> enough. Though you had the question about what they did with the sheets. Maybe they just replaced the entire bed every single time rather than the sheets. Just bought a new bed in each city. He didn't travel with the bed. <laughs> so now we get into the interesting question of where in your nines this goes. We sure do. Well, I think history is about to repeat itself. And uh, 
Rumors is gonna beat it out, and it's gonna slot right between Rumors and Redheaded Strangers. That's funny. Wow, <laughs> Rumors took the Grammy <laughs> from it, and now it takes the Connor placement from it. Yeah, history repeats itself. Wow. <laughs> well, there you have it. There you have it. That's our take on Hotel California. If you enjoyed this episode and want more. If you liked that take or, or didn't. didn't, either way, you should check us out everywhere else. Yeah, you can let us know on social media. We have an Instagram at Spin It Pod Official. Yeah. Twitter, Twitch at Spin It Pod. And our website is www.spinitpod.com. Be sure to drop a follow and a like and say hey. We will say hey back. We promise. And we got more episodes coming your way. I know we did a little faux pas with the Grammy thing a couple weeks ago, but that's old news to you. Mm -hmm. The next episode coming out for you is sure to be an exciting one. Very different direction. Yeah. I mean, very different. And I'm excited for it. I'm excited to hear what you have to say about it. It'll be a fun episode either way, so you don't want to miss it. But have a great week. Have a great week. We'll see you next time. And until then, keep spinning. Keep spinning. Is there anybody we could sue? I just want to jump on the Eagles suing craze. Who do we have grievances against? Well, if we follow in the same logic, we would be spin, 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 sue, spin. Wheels? Can we sue wheels? Wheels. Just the entity wheels. Yeah. <laughs> Hang on. Hey, is there a wheels.org? Checking the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs>